Hey, everybody, welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Valley Hull just became the new World Cup DH overall champion, which is a reality that she is very much still processing. And so we thought this would be a perfect time to have a conversation with Valley. And for reasons that we'll explain in this conversation, Matt Manzer of Gear 30 Podcast fame joined me to talk to this very impressive and very candid 19-year-old champion about her remarkable season. We talk about some race tactics. We talk about Greg Minar and whether Valley can imagine still racing 20 years from now. And we also talk about a whole bunch of other things, and there's some pretty fun tangents in here as well. And that's what we've got for you today. Now, just a couple of notes here. Later today, over on our Off the Couch podcast, we will be posting a conversation with Olivia Amber, who is an up-and-coming ultra runner and Solomon athlete. And we talk quite a bit about how Olivia balances all of that while working at a very high-level tech job in San Francisco. And then this Friday, over on our Gear 30 podcast, we are nerding out about gear with pro skier McKenna Peterson, where we ask her about her own personal gear preferences and what piece of ski equipment she would most like to see developed. You can find our Off the Couch podcast and our Gear 30 podcast on whatever podcast app you use, so go find them. And if you haven't already subscribed to those shows, then please do. One last thing here. As I mentioned above, Valley and Matt and I do talk about Greg Minar in this conversation, and we thought, well, what better way to follow that up than by having the GOAT himself on Bikes and Big Ideas next week. So yeah, we've got Greg coming on Bikes and Big Ideas next week. And right now, I am very pleased to share with you this conversation with the new World Cup DH overall champion, Valley Hull. And so, here we go. Well, Valley and Matt Manzer, I think the question on everybody's mind is, Matt, why are you here right now? I'm just branching out into many podcast channels around the Blister Network as possible. I think that I've been on three. This is now the third with the official Blister podcast, Gear 30, and now Bikes and Big Ideas. I'm just taking over. Yeah. If I, if I get, if I get onto the running podcast, there's a problem. Like something's wrong. <laughs> I'll make you a deal right now, Matt. If you run an ultra marathon, we will have you on. Dude, I can't run around the block. I know. Well, that's why. I mean, so if you pull that off, we'll have you on. But we digress here because we are very fortunate to have Valley here with us. This is amazing. Congratulations on all of these things that have been happening in your life. But let's, you know, let's now bring it back to Matt Manzer, shouldn't I'm we? sure that's what everybody really wants to know more about. I think we need to kind of just open, though, with how you two know one another and how far back does this go? Valley, let me hear your version of events and then we'll, we'll see if, if Matt thinks you've got it right. 
Well, I don't even know when we met actually the first time. I just know that Matt is a really good friend of Angie Hohenwater and uh, Angie is my godmother and she basically taught me how to ride a bike and um, yeah, I got into racing with her and uh, she was kind of my mentor from day one on. So, And then Matt came by somehow. I don't even know why. <laughs> <laughs> Just tagging along as usual. <laughs> and so my understanding is, I mean, you guys have ridden bikes at least a few times. And in fact, maybe just like this past weekend? It was a really hard ride. Yesterday. Was, <laughs> well, this was yesterday? It was really difficult. Yeah. Well, you know, Very it came uh, six laps later. <laughs> it came, uh, yeah, for the lunch. I showed up right before move. lunch break, so I got like half a lap in <laughs> before we went into an alm. Well, Matt, I would have said that previously your one claim to fame is that you have probably been on podcasts drinking whiskey and talking about ski boots more than any other human in history. But I think this is your new claim to fame. Like Valley occasionally lets you tag along to ride bicycles. To, to ride to the Alm. <laughs> to get some avocado bread. <laughs> to get some avocado bread. Okay. Which was really good. I wasn't even that hungry. And I was like, I'm going to eat this whole thing. Did you actually finish it? No, because I was like, I can't. (laughs) (laughs) Valley, what did you have? Well, I also had avocado bread. Um, The Bergstadl is pretty famous for their famous avocado bread. (laughs) So that's what one gets. We went there purposely for the avocado bread. These are things I aspire to do someday. Yeah. (laughs) as, As we're plotting out my eventual trip to austria so i'll put this on the list yeah if you come in like may or june then we could ski and bike so we could ski at the glacier in the morning and then pick valley up but we'll drive to Salbach, and in a half hour we'll be mountain biking valley you're not going to come skiing with us i'm coming all the way from austria if you come for skiing i will i will make time Oh, wow. That's very generous of you. You're like, hang on, I got to quick win a world championship and then uh, then go ski with this guy from the US where we had the world's strangest podcast. <laughs> hey, you've mentioned the person who taught you how to ride bikes. I kind of wanted to ask a bit more about this. Like, do you remember your first bicycle? Uh, I actually do. Uh, it was like, a really heavy yellow Scott, tiny, I think it's like 16 inch. And uh, I did my first race when I was free on it. So um, that was actually pretty fun race because I was the youngest one. It was just one loop around the block. And every time there was a photographer, I stopped because I didn't know that they can make pictures while I'm moving. So I actually got last, but Everyone got a medal and I felt like a winner. So uh, that was. You got some good pictures out of it, probably. I did. (laughs) No action, just standing, but it's okay. (laughs) Just lifestyle photos. (laughs) Lifestyle. That story is fantastic. When did you learn that you could actually keep riding a bicycle and the the photographer could capture the photo? Was this like was this like last year or like did you used to always stop when you saw a photographer or like when did you figure this out? I think it was four years ago. <laughs> four years. Okay. okay. 
Well, congratulations on figuring that out. Thank and you. so a, a yellow Scott bicycle was your first. Was that a push bike? No, it had pedals on. So pedaling at age three. Yeah. Because the fun thing was that, you know, I we don't like I grew up at a chalet up on a mountain and we only had like grass around the house. And because there were so many holes with the training wheels, I always got stuck and fell over. So my dad was like, well, we need to put them off, obviously, because I can't ride. And then just pushed me and I pedaled and it worked out. Now, again, since there's a reason we do have Matt joining us today, I also want to ask and hear a bit more about your ski background. So um, as every Austrian, you kind of have to do ski racing when you grow up and the that starts I mean, at age two, though. <laughs> yeah. I think it was also age three. Because <laughs> I'm born in December, so I'm always a bit late. <laughs> no, um, yeah, it was kind of normal. All my friends, they did in school. And that's the thing you do in the winter. So, um, yeah, I started ski racing. Uh, I was lucky that my parents supported it. I mean, it's it's not that uh, cheap, actually, to, to st- start ski racing because... It's kind of common in Austria that even though you're super young, you kind of start with like two pairs of ski, like giant slalom, slalom skis. And um, yeah, my ski club was pretty cool. So we drove to all the races and the parents joined us at the beginning until we were older. And um, yeah, I did it until I was uh, 15. And then I kind of had to decide if I continue ski racing or do bike racing. But for me, it was a pretty easy decision to you know, swap into biking just because I was so much better because to be good in Austrian skiing, it's really hard. And also the vibe in the community is a bit different (laughs) compared to biking. Well, I mean, especially the area that you live in. Yeah. Like Salbach area is a very competitive race scene. And so coming up in that, as you said, Valley, it's it's just super competitive. Like as a young teenager... It's full speed, like lots of pressure, have to do it, you know, etc. Yeah, et and even like in school, you kind of have to decide if you want to mm. make it as a ski racer. You, in Austria, you have those ski schools who like 100% into skiing. So you kind of don't really go to school in the winter. You just ski the whole week. You go Monday and Tuesday, you sit in school and then you have time to train and you kind of have to decide pretty early if you go that way or that way. So, um, yeah, actually it was a pretty easy decision for me to choose biking. So I was always cold. I don't like the cold. (laughs) It sort of worked out, I think. Yeah. So far. Mm. I can't wait till in two years you announce your retirement from bike racing. And then switch to skiing. Yeah, that's right. That'll be the next, (laughs) that'll be the next chapter. I don't know if the USV would, would like it. (laughs) (laughs) This raises kind of an interesting question though, because I think like it's actually not that uncommon for very good athletes to, you know, have a couple of different sports that they like quite a bit. And I mean, you have said this was not a difficult decision for you, but I always find it kind of interesting when like one example that I'm thinking of is LeBron James LeBron James could be playing in the NFL right now, and he's made this entire career in basketball, but he's been very clear about his love of the NFL and love of football. And so I kind of find it as somebody who never 
was in a position to have to sort of make this hard decision, right? Which way do I go? <laughs> it's interesting, like, this idea that someone might actually like a different sport more, but just happen to be better at another one. Thoughts on this? Uh, no, I mean, <clears throat> just because there are less women racing, like, it's not, it's not, you know, when you, when you ski racing, it's really hard to actually win ski races, even though you're just doing like the, the nationals in Austria, because like, there's so many girls racing where in biking, like they're not that many girls. So it's easier to be good and get good results. But like the most important thing for me was that just the whole community is like way more friendlier than in skiing. Like in one year of bike racing, I went, I made way more friends than like in eight years of skiing. Just because the whole, the kids are way more competitive in skiing in a young age. And like the weirdest thing, the parents. And uh, it's like, you know, it's not cool to be at the ski race because like you have to work, wake up super early. It's always cold. And the whole vibe is, is not as fun as the bike racing where when you start bike racing, you know, you spend the whole weekend there. Most of the people like they're camping. So you have barbecues, you meet other friends and you just have a good time during the summer. And, uh, you kind of start loving the whole vibe way more than, than skiing. So as a generalization, bike parents, more fun than ski parents. Yes. And it rubs off on the kids. Ideally, yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you always have those, mo mo we call them motocross parents. <laughs> I think that, that it's the same like ski parents. <laughs> so like those full factory kids, I think you have them in every sport. But, you know, I was pretty pretty lucky with my parents. I mean, they were not pushy in skiing, but they were super chill and as well. And your parents being pushy. <laughs> yeah. Does it make sense to me? <laughs> <laughs> no. I cannot imagine Valley's parents being pushy. Like no. some of the most chill people. <laughs> no, I'm, down I'm to earth super people lucky meet. with my parents. And the, I mean, they supported me in skiing and biking, but they obviously also enjoyed the biking way more because the whole bike family is just way cooler. Sorry <laughs> if I diss the skiing now, but. <laughs> and so basically, if we're going to rank the parents of different sports. We've now talked about motocross parents, bike parents, and ski racing parents. And it sounds like our current order would be bike number one. And then how do you want to go two and three with motocross and ski racing parents? It's tough. Like <laughs> They're both terrible, so it's like a tie for worst. Okay. Yeah. Parents, you should work on this. I just, I think like the motocross parents just need to spend way more money than the ski racing parents because skis are less expensive than like a full motor setup. I think so. Can be. <laughs> <laughs> so wait a second. Say this again. They, they ought to, they ought to spend more or they just do spend more. No, I mean like um, to start motocross racing, like you kind of have to start with with a proper setup and I guess a moto is way more expensive than 10 pairs of ski. Valley, one more completely unrelated question from anything that we ought to be asking you about. Yeah. It's kind of my dance move. Like this is my go-to move. Have you ever had your ski boots fitted by Matt? Yes. 
Only one time. <laughs> was it horrible? Did you end up in a lot of pain? Was it a bad experience for you? How did this go? Don't lie, please. It was only the left boot. Only one. <laughs> no, it was actually, um, I had a injury uh, after World Champs in 2020. And I kind of got back after rehab and I did lots of uh, touring skiing. But uh, I couldn't fit into my ski boot. And then uh, he fitted my ski boot. And then one week later, I got surgery and they put out the pins I had in my ankle. And then I actually didn't need it anymore. But <laughs> What really happened here was that Valley made a story on Instagram of <laughs> she's sitting in the gondola with her boot off saying, my feet hurt. Can anybody help? <laughs> and I'm like, I think you might know somebody who could take care of that for you. <laughs> I love this. She's like, oh, no, no, I, I I, know you, Matt, but I just wondered if anyone could actually help. Can no, I actually help? wanted to text, like, do you know if Intersport have some good people? <laughs> <laughs> well, because you did have a little bit of an ankle problem. Yeah. Tiny one. Tiny one. <laughs> but how are things now? Your ski boots, you're comfortable, we're good. How give us the update on uh, your feet and ski boots? So uh, yeah, my ankle is fine now, and I actually had surgery uh, in in March. So they put all the pins out, which were in my ankle. So um, actually now my ankle is like way slimmer than it used to be when we fitted the ski boot. So I think now the ski boot, yeah. I mean, Matt, you know what's going on. Yeah. So basically, because Valley had. <laughs> four kilos of metal in her ankle <laughs> that we had to make room for. So everything is just way wider than what it, it is now. So it's kind of hard to shrink boots back. It's pretty tough. So we're just going to start fresh with a, with a new boot soon. Just don't <laughs> break your ankle again. Can we talk about this past season? Yes, of course. He asks 18 minutes <laughs> in. <laughs> This is wild, and this is wild from the point of view of as somebody who's actually only watched it, let alone be the person who's making <laughs> it happen and for whom it's happening to. I mean, how far out are we now? This has been, are we two, three weeks out? I think three weeks now. So you've now had all of 21 days to process this past season. Is it sinking in? Are you getting there? Tell me about these last three weeks. Well, honestly, I still have no idea how how this happens. And I still feel totally the same. I'm so insecure when I'm riding or I see someone else. I'm like, oh my God, they're so good. And then I'm like, oh wait, I just want the World Cup overall. So maybe I can also ride a bike pretty good. <laughs> but um, I still can't really believe it because, I don't know, it's the first time I, I won Elite. And, you know, when you win juniors, you're always, yeah, but there, you know, there's still better ones out there. Like, but now it's like racing walk up. It's like, you know, the furthest you can go and I want it. And it's so surreal still. And I don't know how long it takes or if, if there is one day you, you finally get it or it just never get it. I have no idea. I think when you unpack your bike, finally, and look at it again because <laughs> it's been in the bike bag. You haven't taken the big exactly. workout. <laughs> it's a really interesting thing. And I've been thinking quite a bit about this. Like I think for 
many of us and perhaps you yourself, Valley, is like when we have our path and our purpose and the thing that we're really focused on and, and trying to do well, normally I think we probably have these visions of of success and the question of like, what does that look like? And, and all these steps that we're going to take to try to get there and the dedication and the, the, the long hours and the tough work. And it's got to just be really strange when that process happens perhaps much quicker than any of us may have imagined it would have taken. It's like, wait, what just happened to this? I'm, I'm doubled down and I'm ready and I'm in it for the long haul. And, and then you're like, wait, what just, so I, I I guess that's one of my questions for you. Like one, does that resonate this, this sort of vision or this idea that I've just spelled out of like success being this thing that takes a long time and you build toward it? No, I mean, I mean, especially I think in my case, like, because I kind of wrote the overall off, like I didn't expect to win it. Like it was a total surprise because I had a really hard season. Like, it, you know, I didn't even get on the podiums two times and I crashed a lot. And, you know, it wasn't the season I was hoping for and I never experienced problems like I had. So before I came to Snowshoe, I kind of wrote it off. I was like, okay, if I get a third place in the overall, that would be sweet. And I can, I can end the season and like, you know, focus on next year. And then like in that one year in the US, I changed everything. Like I won the first time I woke up and then two days later I won the second time and then somehow managed to turn it around and, and, and win the overall with a bit of luck that Miriam crashed two times. But I mean, I crashed also in the, be- in the beginning of the season. So it's always, you know, it, it's racing. It's, it's so exciting and that's why we love it. And I think. If you, if you, if you're in the season and you kind of know, okay, when you're always first, like you, you kind of expect to win the overall and you kind of prepare for the success maybe. But when it comes like, so surprisingly, maybe it takes you longer to process it because it's such a big surprise. I don't know. Maybe. I think so. I I think your season, even though you're young, like you're, you're 19, this season showed remarkable maturity on your part, honestly, because you had a very rough beginning. Like you came in, I'm assuming with a lot of pressure to perform, right? And you had two crashes in the first two races, but to come back from that, like to pull it together, be in a good headspace to finish the way you did is kind of unreal for anybody, no. let, a, let alone someone's first real year racing elites. Yeah. You know, that's just, it's, it's pretty mind blowing when you think about the pressure that you have when, okay, not only do people have expectations of you, you qualified first at Leoga, like the first race. So mm-hmm. your last woman down. That in and itself is a huge mindfuck. <laughs> you know, I still get goosebumps right now. Like, yeah, well, it, it's talk like about it. It's crazy. You know, it's like you qualified first the first race. I think you were second the no first again the second race. No, I qualified second in this year. 
Yeah. First in Maribor. Yeah. So you went quali one, qualified second, qualified first, like your first three races. This just puts your head into a certain spot that is just really hard to deal with, you know, and that you, yeah, like I said, that you kind of pulled it back to say, I'm still in this. I'm not going to just dwell on what happened. It's behind me. And we're just going to give it our all until literally the last race, like the last possible shot. And that's what you did. I think that's just so sick. Oh, thank you. That's so nice. This is what Matt and I were kind of talking about when we were recording our six hour (laughs) gear 30 podcast the other day. And, and when we were like, Hey, you know what? Let's actually get Valley in on this conversation rather than just talk about it amongst ourselves. But how hearing Matt, sort of talk about that season in the way he just did what resonates with you when you hear that or fill in the details of some of that in terms of your own psychology I guess well for me it's like still unreal that like people talk about about my performance and they you know that actually so many people feel with me like it was crazy how many text messages I got when I crashed and that they're sorry and you know, people told me that they cried or screamed in front of the TV because I crashed and threw it away. And and then people were so happy when I finally got back on the podium in Lenzerheide. And, you know, the moment when I walked back after the podium to my pit, like so many people just clapped and like hugged me. And I was like, oh, my God, like so many people also had like such a big relief moment when I crossed the finish line without crashing and actually doing a good result again. And then, you know, after snowshoe, like it was crazy the amount of, of messages I got and like phone calls. And like when I got home to Salbo, like how many people talked to my parents. And for me, it's so unreal that like there's so many people watching me racing and they like what I do. And for me, it's like so unreal that, did they even like watch me race, you know, because I'm as, you know, I, I don't feel like I, I'm special or like that I deserve it, but it's so nice. <laughs> well, people liked it so much that it became an, an amazing meme on Instagram. <laughs> on the, if you've seen the UCI like downhill memes of like Robert Downey Jr. Like patting his chest like <laughs> when, when, when Valley keeps it like rubber side down or something like that. And it's just like, Oh yes. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> like everybody was just pulling for that to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Valley talk a bit about the experience of winning juniors and winning this. I mean, juniors was just like easier. It's like way more relaxed. First of all, you know, you're not in the spotlight that much and you're also not on live TV. So you race earlier and, you know, you don't have, you know, you just have less pressure, obviously less competitors and the field is not as strong as an elite. So, you know, we were three good girls racing and we all knew that if, you know, even if we have a bad day, we can still be in the top three. So it was kind of like easy, like you never had as much pressure as you have now in, in elite. And then, you know, I was the first year I was racing juniors. I had the perfect season. I won all the races and I won world champs. And then the second year I got second twice, but I also like won the overall and got world champion again. And just, it was just easy. Like I never had any struggles. 
So, um, yeah, people already compared my times with the elite and obviously I did it as well, but then it was always, yeah, but the track was different or the weather changed and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it was just nicer because you were always a bit protected. Like you, you were racing juniors, but you know, elite is a different story. And then like coming into elite, like so many people expected a lot. And obviously I expected a lot as well because you know, why, why shouldn't it work? And then, uh, what was it? Leo Gang 2020 world champs at home was my first elite race. And I came there and I won qualifying straight away. And then I crashed out before the race. And then I missed out the whole first elite season and kind of everyone expected me to do, you know, as good as before when I came back for Leo Gang this year. And somehow I did. I mean, I won qualifying again and crashed in the last turn and still got second. So um, that was pretty, pretty intense. And I, I have to say, like after Leo Gang, I was really, really exhausted because all the rehab and, and all the focus was just like coming back in Leo Gang. And it was crazy how much attention I got, like from the media wise and, and also the people looking at me and, and watching me and, it was also new because I kind of lost the first time in my life because I crashed and threw maybe potentially my first World Cup win away. And then I had a rough season. Like it was harder than I expected it to be. And then coming to Snowshoe and it finally worked out. It, it was like, it didn't really feel real because the first race in Snowshoe Miriam crashed and she was faster in every split and then she crashed. So it didn't really feel like a proper win because she was just faster. But uh, at the second race, like she was back before she crashed and it was like, okay, now I was really faster than everyone else on this day. So um, it was just, uh, yeah, really, really nice. And it felt really good. I'm wondering, because Matt and I were doing a bit of speculation on this front as well. From a tactical point of view, in a way so far, you've talked a little bit more about maybe we would say sort of luck, like, oh, I crashed here, you know, didn't crash there, etc. From a tactical point of view, if you're willing to share, did things change up for you like a little bit or a lot over the course of this past season? It's, I mean, obviously, I always try to give my best and I knew that you know somehow in qualifying I always do really well I don't know why um maybe I'm like just you know get into the race track quicker than everyone else maybe they need just another day to you know be fast on the track and I feel like I kind of figure out my lines pretty early so maybe that's why I always I'm always quite okay at qualities and, you know, during the season, I kind of figured out that, you know, if you have good qualities, you get good points for the overall. And that's, even though I crashed out a few times, I still like kept the top three in the overall. So I was like, okay, that's smart. You, you learn a lot. And then, uh, what was it like? For sure, like after Leo Gang and Lichy, when I crashed in the last corners, I was like, okay, maybe I need to, you know, go a bit slower and just have a safe run. And then in Maribor, I tried that. I qualified first, but I had a super 
slow race run. Like I didn't even make it in the top five, but I didn't crash. So that was like, okay, first time I actually had a safe run, but it was too slow. So maybe I need to, you know, do 50, 50 of both. And then uh, actually after Maribor, we had world champs and world champs is like one shot race. So at world champs, I qualified first, gave everything on the race day and crashed. <laughs> um, so it was like, okay, world champs, I don't care. I'll try next year. So it was, you know, my splits were good. So it was a good improvement that I knew that after Maribor, after my slow race run, I knew that I was back up to speed. And then Lenza Hyde was just, I don't know, I feel like it changed my whole mindset, I guess. I was super, super competitive and like not strict, but I was just trying to make everything right in the Sheen and Leo Gang, but I wasn't really enjoying it to be at the races. And then like midsummer, I was like, wait, I, I'm like 19. I don't go to the after parties. Like what's wrong with me? Like you need to enjoy it in the summer. Like you need to go out with your friends, do, you know, party laps after the race and just enjoy it to be at the races because obviously we have the sickest lifestyle you can ever wish for. And, you know, you have sponsors who pay for it. So like can't even be any better. So, um, I think, yeah, before I learned I had a I changed my whole mindset and I was just, super happy at the races and I think that was just like my magic recipe because like since I'm happy I'm I'm actually doing really good so yeah I can vouch for that Angie's <laughs> Angie sent me a video of you dancing in the pits at <laughs> I don't know if you were aware that she was filming you but you were, seemed to be in a very positive chipper mood yeah to, to your point, you, you weren't getting lost and being serious and beating yourself up over things. You were trying to keep it lighthearted and just positive. Yeah. And obviously, even if you have like a bad race, but you were happy the whole weekend, like you take so much more positives away from the whole weekend than when you're just like super focused and like not happy and not talking to everyone else. And then you crash as well. And then you go home and you're actually super unhappy because the whole weekend wasn't really enjoyable. And at least like until you crashed, it was fine. So you're just like, okay, we try next time. This isn't ski racing. No. <laughs> That's why you picked the right sport. Apparently. <laughs> Have you ever heard of this bike rider, Greg Minar? Yeah, I think it did. My dad told me about him. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't help, but just thinking about, well, the fact that you just won at age 19 and Greg just won world champs at the age of 39 and God bless Greg Minar, Right. And, um, I think he's, yeah, he's just a hero to so many of us, but us old guys, that's what you meant. <laughs> yeah. That's what oldies, I meant. Yeah. No, I actually really like Greg Minar as well. He's a super nice guy. And, uh, you know, I'm so surprised how he can still, right because i already have back pain and he's 20 years older and he's still you know doing fine so i don't know what's the magic recipe here <laughs> red wine this is exactly the question i wanted to ask you like the first question was have you actually spent any time thinking about this and but the second question is like can you like get into the headspace of like project out your life literally 20 years from now 
Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, for women, there's always the question like, you know, we want to start a family, have kids. And then obviously now with Rachel Atten, like the question is like, is she coming back? And, you know, is she still going to put as much commit commitment in it as she did before? So I'm really curious if, if that's going to work out. But, you know, even with, with Greg, like if you're racing World Cups for like, I think since he's 16, like it's crazy because, you know, you always go to the same venues every year. Every year is kind of the same. You train in the off season, you start traveling, you go to the same venues, you say kind of the same racetracks, you know, same, same weekend, like qualifying race day practice. Like, I wonder if it gets boring one day or if it's just like, if you hang out with your best mates, like you don't care if you do it for 20 years. So winning helps probably winning. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm so tired of winning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And also, like, he, he never had, luckily, a massive, like, injury like others races did. So um, maybe that also helps that, you know, rehab. Or maybe, like, it also, it's always hard because people say if you get injured, like, you have a big motivation boost to you work even harder for the next year. But, you know, Greg is always on point. There's never a year where he's off. Maybe he's off for the first two races, but then he, in the middle of the season, he just comes back. So for me, that's like so incredible. You know, we see this, I mean, frankly, like it just is the analogy. Like in, in basketball, it is LeBron James. That is the example of the person who has just stayed at the top of the sport for like way longer than any of us would have thought possible Tom Brady in American football and you have Greg setting this out and I think it is interesting I, I love that you kind of led with the question of where will your own passions and interests lie you know and I I think that maybe we're becoming perhaps a bit more sort of accepting or acknowledging as a society that top athletes might choose to take a different path, pursue other things. Again, as the older guy, I remember when like Michael Jordan was like, I'm switching to baseball. There was outrage about this. I don't know if that happened today that there would be the same level of outrage. There, I think there would be like, well, apparently there are these new passions and interests and he wants to pursue that. I, I don't know. Do, do you, do you agree with that? Do you think we are becoming more open to the idea of our athletes and our athletic heroes sort of switching paths? I mean, like switching to like NFL to, to baseball, wherever, like it's, it's such a big move for in biking, like all the X downhill races to start racing enduro, which is kind of the same, I think like Sam Hill and then like Oniko Vios and so many heroes, but it's still bike racing. So it's kind of the same. Whereas Greg, like he never ever mentioned to actually leave something or try a different discipline in biking. Like, I think to your point, he's never really had a major injury. That's kind of made him be sidelined or think about it. You know, he's yeah. never had, you know, unlike Sam or some other people, who have had these injuries where it's like, okay, this, maybe I can't keep up the, the pace at downhill because it's, it's pretty mental, honestly. Yeah. 
But then you have also Brooke McDonald's who is paralyzed. And so he's not thinking about switching to a no. easier sport. He's like, he's still oh, I'm going to do it again. Breaking trees in half. Yeah. <laughs> so Valley, here's a thought experiment for you. I want you to try to, you know, step out of yourself. If you were a, an analyst, a commentator, sort of assessing your current strengths and where you see the most room for improvement, how would you sort of assess where you are as a rider today? <laughs> uh, it's funny because like, I mean, obviously I listened to, to all the race runs I had and like listening to what Rob Warner and Tracy are talking about. And it's funny because they always talk about like how strong my mental strength is and that I actually like, I never gave up in the season and I always, you know, every race I tried again, even though I crashed the one before. And it's funny that people see it that way because I had massive self-doubts during the season. Like I actually, you know, started to look up universities where I can start studying <laughs> in September and be like, oh, maybe I'm not going to race Woko because it's actually not that fun. I always crashed that much and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, people just saw me trying again and again and yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because that, but from the outside, it, it looked like I had no problems with it. So, um, yeah, so my strength maybe is that I, you know, I try again because I really love winning and I want to do really good. And I don't know where I can improve is, I think I learned a lot during this season. Like what I had to learn is like losing to actually, you know, when you cross the finish line, it's not working out the way you want it to actually like, you know, stop, calm down, collect yourself and, you know, be happy for the other ones where in Leo Gang, I was just so pissed about myself that I didn't even like recognize that, you know, Kami won her first World Cup. And I feel so sorry now because when I look back to it, like I was just so pissed about myself that I didn't really, con you know, set congrats to her. Like I did after when we went to the ceremony, obviously, but, you know, I just want to be happy for them when they're super happy and, you know, the girls were so happy for me in snowshoe and I just really appreciate it. And I think that's what you learn when you get older. And I learned a lot during the season and, you know, I just want to be a super, I just want to be, I like Bruni in the sport because everybody loves Loic and everyone is happy for Loic, but all Loic is also happy if someone else is winning. So, yeah. And another, I would say difference between bike racing and ski racing not that ski racers aren't happy for the winners, but I've never seen the camaraderie or friendship in ski racing that I see in mountain bike downhill racing. Mm. Like it's so different. Yeah. So I think different. like, uh, they're not going skiing together after the race, I guess. No. They're like they would never hang out and go for a coffee where, we're in, in biking, you know, especially the Frenchies. I mean, it's a totally different story, <laughs> but I mean, I love each other anyway, but even like, I feel like there was a big change also in the women's field this, this season. Um, you know, like we are actually a pretty cool group of girls now. Like we go out for coffee after qualifying and just hang out or go for, for pedals at the beginning of the week. And, you know, it's so nice because you go up in the gondola together and you just talk about the the track and blah, blah, blah. And it's it's so nice because, you know, 
what what's gonna happen on the race nobody can control it but you can be friends you know before and after so it's fine why why be a dick <laughs> why be why a dick, a dick? <laughs> yep i think we found our soundbite yeah. for this episode why be a dick <laughs> unless it's you know directed at matt and then the answer is because it's really fun Just, yeah, that's why no boots for you okay so if i may just circle back to the the last question i asked you and i want to see if this resonates or not i'm asking you how you would assess some of your current strengths where there's room for improvement given what you've just said would it be fair to say like Let's fast forward five years from now and you could say, all right, I'll either take being physically better on the bike, maybe better at handling, better reading terrain, something like that. Or I'd rather be say 10 to 20% better on the mental side of things, the mental game for racing. Do you have an obvious A or B that you would take in those two scenarios? Well, it's actually actually a tough question because I think like uh, I think Snowshoe was a good example because Pom Pom crashed two times, and I don't know like her crashes were on super weird spots. Like the last one was after the flat sprint, and there was nothing, and she just washed out. And then I was thinking, okay, she's like ten years older than me. And I thought that would just be experience, you know? So obviously I think she was super nervous because even out of the start gate, like she unclipped and like the whole run was actually a mess where obviously like she, she had to play it safe to win the overall, but then she crashed out because she was maybe a bit too, too uh, nervous, I think. And then you have like Bruni who like performs way better under pressure. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think I still need to figure out like what I need to win. I mean, I think for now I just need to be happy. And also for Snowshoe, like I wanted to qualify fourth or third around because I didn't want to be the last girl on, on top. So, but I mean, it's going to happen hopefully more often than I'm, than I'm the last one on top. And I think you need to learn to perform under pressure. So, um, I think. I don't know. It's hard to say because I feel like my, my bike skills are there, but I think at the end, like the mental game is always gonna be the deciding point, I guess. So B. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. We're going mental. We're going mental game. Yeah. Mental game. Yeah. Not exactly. I don't want to tell you how to approach racing, but (laughs) I would very much agree. No, but like Loic is the perfect example. Like he said in multiple times, that he loves qualifying first. Yeah. He loves being the last guy down. Like he freaking looks forward to it. Yeah. Versus some people, it just cripples them. Yeah. Like it's just a too much in their head. You know, like you hear so many, um, like Troy one year was like throwing up, like at the top. Mm. Like he was last man down and just the nerves. And he overcame that too. So I think either he won or got second as, as, or third, like top three as usual for Troy. But, you know, like it's, it really can mess with you. 
And if you mm. get to that point where your mental game is so strong that you're like, booyah, we're doing this like that, that literally puts you above everybody else. Yep. You know, cause like you said, like your bike skills are phenomenal and how many of the guys like in the top 10, you know, I, I, it's at that point, maybe it's just my, maybe I'm being a little too naive about it, but like they're all, they all could win. Yeah. It's just who just put it together in their head the best way possible at that mm. moment, you know? Um, so yeah, I would totally agree on the mental side of things. Like if you can master that, that's, whew, that's huge. Yeah. Let's talk about style. This is just you as a fan, right? Like we're talking about Loic here and we've talked about on other podcasts kind of like Loic style versus say like Omri's style, which to me just seems so different and are so cool in their own way. But do you have, again, just as a fan, do you have certain riders where you're just like, Maybe it's not what you do or try to do on a bike, but you're like, man, I just, that's so cool what he or she is doing, their approach. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like style, I think it's also so funny because my mechanic is a cousin of Loic. So um, he's like super close to Loic and they always talk about the setup and blah, blah, blah. And, and it's so funny, like Loic's bike setup is so soft actually compared to Laurie's Vigier's bike setup where he has like 10 tokens in his fork and you know which was funny because in snowshoe you could see his bike just you know the setup was just totally off and he was pinging off everything yeah he was just you know but he also said it was like you know mistake from from loris because he thought he would need it but it just didn't work out but you know loic's riding style is like super racy and uh just his his upper upper body is like not moving at all it's just a bike where you have Reese Wilson, who is like insiding and like cutting every corner, bit of Sam Hilsa, I would say, and it just looks so much cooler. But I mean, at the end, like what's faster, it's always hard to say. I mean, Loic just, uh, Loic is like Greg to me. Like it's so smooth and you're like, he doesn't look fast. And then at a place like Snowshoe, he's like two seconds up. Mm. when people are chasing fractions of a second and you're like, what the hell just look so smooth. Yeah. And then Omri is just a freight train, like a nightmare freight train. Like, and you're like, yeah, obviously he should be winning like, by he like looks 10 fast. seconds. Like it's yeah. just crazy. And when he does, he does like, he will be like five or six seconds up and yeah, but it's, it's, it's like so unnerving watching Omri race <laughs> like i couldn't do that to myself <laughs> nightmare freight train did you come up with that because that's actually really good i like that right there i think nightmare that was me. freight train yeah <laughs> i don't know valley do you see yourself aspiring more to the nightmare freight train style or the <laughs> calm cool collected wait what the hell look how fast this person is going on a bike style i mean it's the first time people actually see me riding because it's the first time on live TV. And, you know, I had a lot of sketchy moments this year. A little more. Where normally I don't, I'm not riding as sketchy as it looks because 
Like I'll have like perfect training runs. And as soon as the camera is pointing on me, I'm like sliding into rock gardens and doing weird stuff. So it, it's funny, but I think, I think it's funny because my riding style is actually pretty easy. Like I always look like I'm chilling on the bike where, where it, for example, like pom pom, she's like always in a tech mode and has a totally different style on the bike. And I feel like she looks like way faster than me, but then like we're at the same speed. So it's, it's, it's kind of funny. Yeah. Like you do look really smooth, but you can tell you are incredibly strong. Like, like, like snowshoe is a good example here because in those rock gardens, you came into a few and your bike was like almost sideways, but you muscled it back. Mm. Then you got smooth again. Yeah. You know, so, um, and like, like Tracy, when she was commenting on the race, she, she's like, Oh my God, like you can't, <laughs> how did she pull that back? You know? And it's just like, like you're, you're little, you're not the biggest person on a bike, but to muscle a downhill bike back online through the death trap rock gardens like that is it's like this weird middle ground between Henri <laughs> and Laura. Loic kind of you thank know? you <laughs> because you are smooth but like then, split seconds split seconds <laughs> I, I change my writing behavior <laughs> just push the button on one side yeah. no but I, i'm trying to be more safe next year it's also like one of my goals to not be so sketchy all the time but <laughs> smooth yeah i think snowshoe was was really smooth lenta hider was also pretty smooth and then yeah, I think at the beginning of the season, like Leo Gang was actually, I think Leo Gang and Snowshoe were the last race, were like one of the best race runs I had. And uh, for me, it's really good to see that I kind of got back to the same riding style I had in Leo Gang. So happy with it. What did you think about Lenzerheide in terms of racing there? Because I heard from a, a lot of racers that it's like they don't enjoy racing there just the way the track is set up and how loose things can get. How do you, do you like that style of track better than say a snowshoe, which is just mm. kind of a bit more just upfront gnar. Yeah. I, f- I feel like I perform better when it's like more technical because that's like where my bike skills just, you know, or it pays off where mm-hmm. in, uh, for example, Lenzide or Marbor, it's like basically, pretty bike barky and, and kind of one line thing where I think L- Lensai was actually quite technical because there was like that steep shoot thing in and um but actually you know I know that a lot of racers complain a lot where I'm always like guys like we are only racing seven times a year just don't complain I mean Lensai is such a pretty place and like we're so lucky to be here and I always feel like that you know the racers who complain they also don't win. So um, maybe it's a karma thing. Maybe they should think about it. Few few winners are complainers probably, huh? Yeah. Maybe but... I'm just a quiet complainer. But <laughs> I, think it, it, I think it was cool to see in uh, Liu Gang 2020 when they had the new track for World Champs, the new bottom part. Like so many were complaining and, you know, they were just complaining every day on. But then also like all the races... For... Yeah. And <laughs> also they didn't, they, they all crashed there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, to I be mean, fair, that's, 
kind of hard in the slop. Obviously, yes. But, you know, for some <laughs> for some races, it just worked out. Like Ren sure. Ethereum or mm-hmm. like Reese, they they were riding oh, incredible, and totally. they also enjoyed it the whole weekend. So it's like, you know, it's your job, and if it's hard, you know, it's it's hard. It's gonna be easier the next weekend, but. It's an outdoor sport, so, you know, it can rain. (laughs) (laughs) So we had talked, you know, looking at like Greg, for example, who's double your height kind of thing. Yet you are on a full 29er. For someone who is your size and you did not make this or the, the change as most people did to like a mullet setup that is quote unquote easier to maneuver and get around. What about the full 29er for you of, of all people, of all the women, for example, mm. what makes that work for you and why do you like it? Um, it's actually <laughs> an easy answer. Like uh, when we switched. So basically I was injured during this off season and we got the new bikes. I changed the track. Um, it was actually planned to do a testing after world champs in Leo gang but I didn't test the bike because I was injured. So I never got to ride a new bike until like this season, which was a bit like, you know, scary because normally you want to ride your bike first before you sign the contract, but you know, it just didn't work out. So I really like relied on, on, on Matt that, you know, he looked at the numbers correctly and that the frame is going to work out. And so, um, yeah, I was the first time on the new DH bike, like end of January, but you know, it was only like two months after injury, like surgery. So I couldn't really ride the bike properly. And then I think it was like March where I spent the whole month in France and we started testing and I started on the mullet setup and it just, you know, it, I just couldn't ride. I don't know if it was my ankle or if it was the bike and, you know, I was, I was getting so insecure and I like, well, I was like stressing because I knew we we're going to start racing in two months and I just couldn't ride the bike. And then I was like, okay, can we just make it as similar as the old bike I had, like the YT bike? And then met like changed, you know, it was honestly just the, the wheel size. So we changed back to 29ers and I knew like how it's going to react. And, uh, so I kind of just stick to it, but like mid season. I kind of knew that the 29er wasn't ideal, especially for a racetrack like Val Like I had tire, I was tire buzzing the whole way down. <laughs> it's like so annoying, but like I was kind of used to it already, but you know, there's no way you can change wheel size mid season. It's just, mm-hmm. it's not working out, but you know, actually now like already in snowshoe, I was like, okay, like I'm, I'm going down to Sioux, France in November and we're going to start testing the mullet because I know it's going to be way better for me. And now I'm like, I'm more confident now. And so I feel like I can, I can handle the mullet now. And I know that it's going to work out good. So I actually can't wait to test it because I feel like there is a lot of improvement and, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, my size is made for mullet. So it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Your well, this also helps me with my bike selection choice too. Now it's good. Ooh, what's coming? <laughs> well, do I go 29er like Valley? No, I have to go with Mala <laughs> because that's what she's doing too. So <laughs> no one goes full 29er except tall guys like Menar. No, just make your life harder because you need to 
buy like two different sizes of tires every time and tubes and <sighs> why make it hard so hard yeah why make it easy yeah <laughs> you've only got front tires 29 yeah. damn it that's probably what's going to get you to just quit bike racing and go back to ski racing it's like all those those tubes yeah you're like, yeah it's like ah oh, might as well just ski race i kind of want to ask you about school what are you into what aspects of study do you find most intriguing which do you hate when i was 19 i was just a moron basically and i still feel bad about this fact so i always like to hear from other people that maybe are less incurious as i was at that age anything kind of that you're gravitating towards subject wise it's it's pretty funny because i didn't really think about it yet i mean i graduated school last year so i'm actually pretty happy that i don't need to do anything at the moment and it's it's also gonna be the first winter where you know i don't have to do rehab and stuff so i can actually like enjoy my life properly and hopefully like less COVID restrictions and and stuff like that but i feel like it's it's quite important to think about what's going to happen after racing and i feel like you know people kind of forget about it because now it's like so easy to actually you know be professional with all the social media and stuff so people feel like it's easier to to get pro because even if your results are not showing off like you can still earn money with social media and uh but i was happy that my parents were actually pretty not strict, but they were like, okay, just focus on school. And if you do that, you can, you know, focus on being a pro. And, and now, you know, I graduated so I can do whatever I want to, like I can go to uni and, um, I actually found a pretty cool, uh, uni where I can start straight with a master. I don't have to do the bachelor because somehow my athlete years count as a bachelor. So that's pretty sweet. And then uh, I'm going to start studying a uh, business ad- administration next year in December. So, yeah, I have no idea how that is legal, but I enjoy <laughs> it. <laughs> I get to skip the bachelor part. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm going to be a master straight away with 23. Mm, sweet. <laughs> I think that's called the the World Cup overall exception. <laughs> Maybe, if you yeah. hit that, yeah, they fast track you. Yeah. So, okay, business administration. Yeah, because, I mean, I always admire people who, like, finish school. And, I mean, I have lots of friends and, like, one of my best friends, like, she wanted to be a doctor. And for me, that's, like, so far off because to get that idea to actually, like, save save people's life or like just do this like you need to study so much like even to get into the program like it's so hard to get in there and then you study for like 10 plus years and then and then you're allowed to start working and it's for me somehow it's cool because they know what they want to do where I'm like yeah I'm gonna start like you know do business or marketing it's like everyone is doing it because they don't know what they want to (laughs) do but I feel like it's like kind of easy for for afterwards because you have so many contacts in the bike business or wherever so it's and i feel like as a as an athlete you kind of enjoy doing it so i would love to be an athlete manager afterwards or like yeah so looking after the next jamie in the future the next jamie 
Maybe not a Jamie. Maybe I can get a Bali. <laughs> Poor Jamie. Before we hit the record button, Jamie. Shout out to Jamie. It's, do we need it's to? All do, love. Do we? Okay. It's all love. Shout out, Jamie. He knows it. Here's the other thing to say on this though. 19-year-olds should not be expected to know what they want to do with the rest of their lives. That I fully am not, I, I just think that's kind of an absurd assumption. And I'm kind of with you. So when you're like, I have friends who are like, I know that I want to be a doctor and I'm willing to start on a path that's going to require 10 years of training to get there. I think that should kind of be viewed as the like outlier, the anomaly, not what everybody should be doing. So I think I'm with you on that one. And my two cents on this is I think at whatever age you are, go all in on whatever you happen to be passionate about sort of right now and do that as, you know, to the best of your ability and then shift when it seems like it might be the right time to shift and don't be afraid to jump into something different. To me, that seems like it's one formula for how you sort of become an interesting person. So who knows? You win a bunch of overalls and then you become an athlete manager. And then maybe you decide, you know, now I want to save lives and go to med school. I don't know. But like, why should that not be an acceptable path? You know, that's just my two cents. Matt, what do you think? When I look back at people who knew in high school or early college, uni, if, if they said, I know exactly what I want to do, those people, it's, it's completely proportionate to how unhappy they are now, typically, to be honest. And of course, there's exceptions, and I'm wrong on a few of these, of course. But when you look at the people who were like, okay, my family said to do this, so I'm going to do this and carry on to this trajectory to go here by the time I'm 25 and do this by the time I'm 30. There's usually, it's not the best recipe for a happy, well-lived life. 19-year-old mm. me had no idea <laughs> where I'd be at 10.48 p.m. Uh, in the future <laughs> in Austria, having a podcast going on, talking with <laughs> Valley and Jonathan, you know, and doing the ski boot thing. Um, there's no life plan that kind of maps stuff out. You kind of, as Jonathan said, like you really have to just do it passionately, do it wholeheartedly. And when you feel like it's time to do something different, like that's probably a good sign to assess and maybe stick with it. And we'll have this conversation in 20 more years with the, the next Greg Minar type setup, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. So it, it's just keep everything wide open and awesome. And Obviously, this is year one. True. And I'm already scared. It's, it's going to be pretty <laughs> rad. What are you scared of? Uh, I don't know. I feel like I've I've been doing this for quite a while already. <laughs> but it's it's funny because I mean, uh, like a year before I graduated from school, I was like not stressing out, but I was like talking to my parents, like, yeah, I mean, I feel like I don't have anything in in life where where I'm like like everyone is talking about yeah what they're gonna start start uh, studying in, in uni and I was like I have no idea what I want to do and they were like well 
you know, don't forget you're like training to be a pro racer since you're 13. Like you already have something and you're actually like making money already with it. So, um, you're like a few steps ahead of, of all your classmates. So, but you can't always forget it because it comes so natural to you and it's because it was a hobby and now it's actually like serious. It doesn't feel like you had to work for it where as in uni, you like study years and years and years to, to get a job afterwards where. For me, it, it just happened and it doesn't really feel like work. So I feel like this is actually a pretty cool life goal to have something. That tends to be a like good work. spot to be in Yeah, when things don't feel like work. It's yeah. a good sign. All right. This is our last, uh, our last thing here on Bikes and Big Ideas. We do like to ask our guests, maybe even sometimes our co-hosts, our guest co-hosts. Guest co-hosts. Valley, what's your big idea these days? Mm, I feel like uh, in Austria, like we have a huge problem with like the national team thing, like supporting the future in mountain biking, especially in downhill, because I feel like I feel like every country is is not you know doing great, but at least better than in Austria, and. For me, that would be really important to actually have a national team where, you know, you support the youngsters and the up and comers and not pretend to, you know, as soon as you're good, they're pretending to help you all the way up there and pretend that, you know, they did all the work, but obviously they didn't. And I'm kind of tired of it because, you know, it's it's weird. Like I ha- I read an Instagram post of like in Swiss, uh, what was it like BMX freestyle guy, and he was like he doesn't even want to start at World Champs for a country which is not supporting his sport, and I feel like that's a big move because obviously you want to race World Champs, and you know I don't I don't mind wearing an Austrian jersey, but I mean they never spend any money like supporting me, and I mean it's it's sad because at the end of the day like. If you win, they're like, oh, yeah, they're Austrian and the Austrian Federation is so good and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, they didn't do anything for me. And I feel that's that's so sad. Luckily, we got many bike clubs now which support like super young riders. And there is a big future in Austrians down in racing. And it's so cool. But I hate, you know, I exactly know how it's going to be in five years when the federation like as soon as they start winning that they're like oh yeah we have them to be that good and i feel like uh maybe i can change it and uh maybe i can you know maybe we can swap up swap out a few people and <laughs> start our own federation that would be pretty sweet pull some money over from the ski side Oh, yeah. Maybe they can get some I mean, the ski federation, I think, is still worse <laughs> than the biking, but <laughs> it's well, a different story. <laughs> that would be also, you know, that would be bad, to be fair. Well, we talked about the beginning of the conversation, you know, if downhill became an Olympic sport, hmm. you know, then I think people would focus attention a little bit differently, to be honest. Yeah. And, but that would also totally change the vibe. Hmm. Walking through the pits would be a very different experience for people if that yeah if that I wonder I like i mean with with like ski racing and then you have like slope style ski slope style, which is now olympic like 
Do you feel different or did you talk to the athletes how they're feeling or they actually enjoy it or? Well, I mean, I mean, comp skiers typically are, you know, very serious, very competitive, you know, they, they do tend to have a different mindset than like filmers like skiers that only do movie parts mm. for example um i would still say they're very much not the racer mentality but you know you kind of get you know you get this quote unquote jock skier you know like they're just they're just training they're just competing it's all they want to focus on i definitely don't think it's nearly as bad as how competitive and serious and sometimes negative it could be in ski racing i don't think it's that far mm. but it, it has become there is a split between competitive skiers and those who don't compete i guess you could kind of say yeah but yeah it'd be interesting to see how that would play out like if it was you know like if downhill mountain biking was handled similarly to cross country you know because there is more focus on cross country at least from from just budget stuff. You mm. know, like where the yeah. I mean, goes, there was you know. like this year, I mean, I don't know if it was because of COVID or something, but for example, Laura, uh, Laura Sticker, she's like one of the best cross country racers in Austria. Uh, she's racing elite women and she wasn't allowed to take her World Cup mechanic to the Olympics. And then there was a guy from the Austrian Federation who like had to take care of her. And then she just couldn't perform well because like, all her surrounding at the World Cups, you know, it's not there. And then the Federation is coming. It's like, oh, it's Olympic sport. Like, we can do mm-hmm. it, but it's just not the same because you have your people, you trust, you have your routine, you have, you know, the most important people around you at the World Cups. And then you have the most important race in an athlete's career. And then there is the Federation and they're like, oh, no, you're not allowed to take your me- mechanic, but, you know, we have one guy. And I think that's so sad because, you know, some people just can't perform without it. And that's where I guess where, you know, the Federation, like once it's Olympic, it's mm-hmm. like maybe not as cool. Yeah. The mechanic is much more than a mechanic. Yeah. Like way more. So Valley, if you were in charge and we say asked you right now, which we will, if it was up to you. Would you want to see DH in the next Olympics? Yes. I think it would help the sport a lot. And especially like to get the recognition it, it deserves for sure. Maybe we can have it like two two or three times and then we can, you know, put it back <laughs> out so we have all the sponsors and all the money in the in the tank and then we can do like a private you know drop out of the uci and just do like the supercross and be independent and have like 20 races in one season like that would be sweet (laughs) i'm really starting to think we should just put valley in charge of everything (laughs) let it go yeah maybe i'm I'm gonna be a president of downhill that's Can I can I study that at uni? Probably. I mean, you're the <laughs> fast track master's student. I think you can do whatever you want. Apparently. <laughs> yeah, perfect. I like this. I don't know if I want to share Matt's big idea because now that we know Valley's going off into <laughs> business administration, I think this could be this could be the next business that we start. The three of us. 
I can I can support it then if I have all the money. That's right. Yeah, if you get the budget, <laughs> yeah. then we can just float it in there. Valley will get all the money in, be the brains behind the operation. Matt and I will just say ridiculous things to somehow try to drum up awareness. Just well, shock value Matt is going to be the instructor. Oh, Matt's the instructor? Okay. I'm the instructor. <laughs> you will be a Lululemon ambassador. <laughs> For full send yoga. Full send yoga. <laughs> Let's bring it all, everybody into the conversation. <laughs> we'll bring in. Yeah. So <laughs> if you all listening have thoughts about um, full send yoga, this kind of came up somehow at the very start of, uh, I think before we hit the record buttons. So I don't do yoga, but I thought we could probably do something with, uh, with full send yoga. And uh, yeah. Oh, yes. Well, Valley's the expert. <laughs> well, is she? She's the, of the, the three of us, Val well, is the for, yoga okay. expert. All right. And that's how that started. Okay. Yeah. And with her, the business acumen she's about to gain, I, I think we've got a good chance for bringing full send yoga to the masses. So, yeah. big things, big ideas cooking Hold up on, here. everybody. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Valley, this has been really fun. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Congratulations, not just on your season, but it's really cool to just hear how you are thinking about a broad range of things. I can't imagine being 19 and having my head attached to my shoulders in such a complete way to completely butcher <laughs> whatever metaphor that is. But uh, it's really cool. Yeah, congratulations on all of it. And I hope you do get to continue to just enjoy this off season as it sounds like you're doing a pretty good job of that so far. Thank you. And then really, I think the last thing to say is uh, I'm just now going to put it on my bucket list. Austria, May or June, drag you out of some World Cup race, <laughs> go skiing. And then I also want to get this avocado bread. Yeah, we can go skiing on Tuesday, then you watch the downhill race on Saturday in Leogang, and then we go and eat avocado bread on Sunday. This sounds like the greatest thing I can possibly imagine. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's some drop the mic stuff right there. So, well, again, we're going we're gonna to try to make this happen, though I, I won't actually try to interfere with any uh, race prep or anything like that. But, uh, you know, Matt and I have been working on this this plan the the austrian trip for quite a while so it, it it is going to happen uh at some point and i was just going over to see matt now you need to see me as well <laughs> <laughs> that's right so thank you so much good luck with all of it we will be watching along with a lot of interest and and cheering along the way thanks again and hope to talk to you soon thank you it was really nice well, that's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. And if you are enjoying these conversations, then we would really appreciate it if you would take 30 seconds to leave us a five-star rating or review in Apple Podcasts. I also want to say thanks to Valley and Matt for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, Please take good care of yourself and everybody else, and we will talk to you again later today over on our Off the Couch podcast, and then this Friday over on our Gear 30 podcast, where again, we've got pro skier McKenna Peterson on to talk about gear and her own gear preferences. Oh yeah, and then next week here on Bikes and Big Ideas, the GOAT, Greg Menard.